Last week we said that we wanted to picture ourselves sitting on that bench over this long valley and making, you know, taking in the whole scenery. And so last week we went through the introduction of the book of Acts and we looked at all the, basically we looked at the big picture last week of what's all in this book, who wrote the book, uh, who was it written to, when was it written, you know, what were some of the circumstances, who are some of the key people that we're going to see and on and on. We took a big look. We took a look over this long valley. We took a, a big look over this whole book. And we said last week that from now on, what well, we want to picture ourselves sitting on this bench as we go through this journey. We want to picture ourselves sitting on this bench. And now we want to start looking at specific areas of this valley. And so today we're going to focus in on Acts chapter 1 and, and see in this chapter some of the things that, that are in there for us today. And I trust that this is going to be an encouragement for us because, again, we want to see ourselves in the pages of this book. This is not some historical book that we read and say, oh, wasn't that beautiful back then? Isn't it nice that those people were so faithful over there? We want to look at this now and say, how do I view myself through these pages? Because these are disciples, these are apostles, these are people like you and I who've been called by God to do extraordinary things that they could only do by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to see ourselves in these pages. And, and so let's dive in. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to spend the entire time just in that first chapter looking at some of the different things. But let me start by asking you a question. Remember the last time you started something big? How many of you remember the last time you started something big or something new? Any, anybody here? Okay, a few of you. Good, good, good. And maybe it was, you know, hey, let's have a kid. And you're like, hey, we got nine months to prepare, and it's all wonderful. Or maybe it was, let's go on a vacation. Let's, let's go on an amazing trip. How many of you need a vacation, like a nice, long trip? Yeah, I can't believe some of you didn't put your hands up. Man, I don't know. Okay, you're still welcome here, but we all need a good trip every now and then. Some of you are like, I'm not going on trips because they're too stressful. But all of us have memories of some time in our lives where we started something new, we started something big. And if you're like us, if you're like most people, when you start something big or when you plan on doing something new, you do a lot of prep work. You know, you're pricing things out, you're checking to make sure you've got all the information, you're going to make sure that you've got everything lined up because you want to kind of know what's expected. You want to know a little bit, hey, what's going to be the next thing that I'm going to have to face? I remember when we went to Europe, man, had I known that duct tape was so expensive in Europe, we would have brought some along because our window got blown out on our, our motorhome that we had rented and so we had to put a little piece of plastic on there. You know, being the good Mennonite I am, I figured that out in uh, no time, you know, we, we put this little plastic on there and, but we had to go get some duct tape from the hardware store and it was $12 a roll. For the same thing I could buy here for a dollar. And you know how you are when you're on the trip. Oh, I got so much of this at home. Why didn't I bring some? Because you're just like, man, I, I got this and now you got to go buy it. You know, you go on vacation, you go somewhere like, oh, I got all this stuff at home. We got so much butter at home. We could have just brought some butter. Now we got to go buy it. It's like a few bucks, big deal. But there's something about when you don't feel like you prepared and you're like, man, if I would have known I needed this, here's what I would have done. I would have prepared for it. That's the normal person. Some of you are like, hey, let's go on vacation. What are we taking? Who cares? You know, I would say to Maria, wherever we're going in North America, there's a Walmart somewhere, we'll be okay. And she wants to, Maria, my wife, she wants to make sure everything is planned. It's good. But when we start something new, we tend to want to be prepared. 
And unfortunately, sometimes we don't have everything we need and we're not as prepared as we would like to be. Now, in the book of Acts, the beginning of the book of Acts, the series, the, the, the sermon today is called Messy Starts. And, and throughout this entire chapter, you're going to see that things were not always super tidy for these guys. In the book of Acts, in the very first chapter, you read that, that this church is now on the brink of something new. The disciples, these apostles are in a new place. They're in a new territory. They're in a new role. A group of believers, a group of people gathering together, and they've been following Jesus around for three years. They've been learning from him. They've been, they've been watching him. But the one thing they could always do, they could always kind of back up and allow Jesus to come to the forefront and to answer questions and to, to deal with some of the criticism and to, to tackle the tough issues. When Jesus was asked, hey, what do we do with this woman caught in adultery? They're not looking at the disciples. They were talking to Jesus. And I'm, I'm sure the disciples were like, whoo, I'm so glad I don't have to handle this one. And now here are these disciples, and now they're kind of at the forefront. They're the ones now that have to give leadership. They're the ones that have to speak into people's lives. They're not able to say, hey, Jesus, why don't you come now and answer this? Because now they're the ones who are being looked to. And so for these disciples, for these apostles, this is a very new stage in their life. The church doesn't have history. They're making history. And so they're not able to get textbooks out and look at and say, hey, what did such and such a church do for these kind of things? So these guys are in a very new beginning and very many, many new things happening. 40 days or so after Jesus' resurrection or 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus meets again with his disciples and, and Luke, the author of Acts, he records all that. And Jesus meets with his disciples to give them some final instructions. He wants to give them some, you know, some, some last words to say, here's what I want you to do. And Luke, the author who's a doctor, he makes sure to record certain details to make sure that people understand that Jesus was truly alive. Look at this, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. Now Luke, he just purposely inserts this little thing that Jesus was eating. In other words, Jesus was real. He wasn't a fabric of people's imagination. He wasn't some mirage. He wasn't, you know, just something that people were thinking that they were seeing. They're like, he's sitting there eating. He's not just some, you know, thing that people are making up. So Luke, as the doctor, saying, dead people don't eat. Spirits don't eat. And, and this, this Jesus is truly alive. He is truly resurrected from the dead. And that's an important thing that Luke wants to point out here as, as the readers read this. He wants people to understand, because even in that time already, there were some people already saying he wasn't really there. He was just something that people were making up. And Luke now says, no, no, no. While he was eating, he's having a meal. He's not just some spirit that's there. He's actually present. Now the question is, what would you and I do once we've experienced some of this? So here's Jesus. He's, he's meeting with them. And then he starts giving them some more instructions. And I want you, as I read this, I want you to start thinking, what would you do if you were here in this place right now? Or at that place? You know, he's talking to them. And he's giving them instruction. And then suddenly he's taken up in the sky. And he's covered by a cloud. Acts chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 1 verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sights. 
The question I want you to wrestle is, what would you do? Come on. What do you think you would do? Would you, would you stand there and go, hey, see you, Jesus? That was cool. Wow. Wow, you didn't even have to make any jet effects. You just, you're gone. Wow, that's so cool, Jesus. Hey, see you, Jesus. Nice seeing you. Hey, guys, let's go get something to eat. I, I don't know if that's what we would do. I'm not so sure. I think we would do a similar thing than what they did, is they just stood there at verse 10, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These apostles are so fixated on Jesus. They are so absolutely fixated on Jesus that, you know, some people say they may have stayed there forever. And I don't know what they were saying. I don't know what they were looking at. I'm like, wow, you know, maybe they were like, wow, how did that happen? What in the world was going on? Did did I see that right? You know, where did he go? Is he coming back? Is this one of those? You know, should we wait? We We don't really know what was all going on in the minds of these apostles. But what we know is that these guys are staying there so long that these angels were, that came down, the angels are literally like, hey guys, you need to get moving. You're not, you were called to be witnesses of Jesus. You were not called to be stargazers. You're not called to stay here and stare the entire time. And so what do you do now? You, 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 okay, so we can't stand here and stare. And for some of us, that's a problem because staring we're good at. And what now? Okay, so what do we do? So they've been warned this would happen. You know, Jesus told them repeatedly that, hey, I'm going to leave you. And so they've been warned that this was going to happen, but now what? What do we do now? Haven't we all been there? You know, we knew something was coming. We knew that there was going to be a layoff. We knew that you know, the house was going to go through and we were going to end, buy, end up buying a house. And we knew that the kids were going to be grown up. Or we knew that this and this. We knew we were going to get married. We, we had all these things. And then all of a sudden it happens. And you're in that moment when it happens. And you're like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And so this is what raising teenagers is like. I heard about them, you know, these aliens that come and invade your body, your child's body, and now suddenly it's like, we're going through this. And it's like, you know, and, and all these different things, and I think that's the same thing with these disciples. They're, they're experiencing this now and going, so this is what it's going to actually be like. And suddenly what they've been warned about is happening, and you get a sense here from the way Luke describes it that, that at the very beginning, these guys really didn't seem to do, know what to do next with themselves. And I think many times you and I were in the same thing when something new happens, especially when it's something that maybe we weren't hoping for or planning for, and then it happens, and you've heard that it happened to other people, but now this is what it's like to be in that situation. And these disciples, they are struggling maybe a little bit at the beginning to get their footing and to really understand because this is a messy start. This is maybe not the way they had quite pictured it. Now Luke describes this fairly, you know, uh, fairly quickly, but the way he writes about it, it doesn't sound like these guys are super energized. Let me just read verse 12 to you. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So in other words, it's not a long walk. It's just a short little distance away from, from the city. Look at verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
Now, I don't want to read into this too much, but the way Luke is describing this, it, it sounds like maybe these guys' shoulders are just sagging a little bit, and maybe their feet are a little heavy, and they're, they're just kind of moving slowly, and, and they're probably doing a lot of thinking. They're, they're wrestling with what now? Who's going to lead us? Who, who, how long are we supposed to wait? Where are we supposed to wait? Like, okay, we're not supposed to, are we supposed to all stay together? I don't know, I'm making this up, but, you know, you kind of get a sense from the way Luke writes about this that you're just really not sure what's next. And I know for a fact that many of us in these pages, we can see ourselves right now in that. We just don't really know what's next. And I want you to remember again, these apostles, these people are just like you and I. The things they went through and the way they responded would be no different than the way you and I would have responded because these guys like us, when something happens that we were not planning on, I'm sure just like you sit there and call friends and maybe talk around and you self-talk and you wrestle with your thoughts and you wonder, what am I supposed to do? I'm sure some of these guys had some of those exact same things going on in their minds. Maybe you're there right now. A new stage in your life. A new challenge. A routine that's been interrupted. And I think, well, okay, well, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm not totally clear. And so these disciples, these apostles, they do the one thing they know to do. They pray. Look at verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I think there's a lesson here for us. And I want you to write this down because this is something I think is going to be, uh, should be very meaningful to you. And this is something you can lean on. And it goes like this. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. There are going to be so many places and experiences in your life where you're going to say, I don't know what to do. Then do the thing you know to do. For example, you know to trust in Jesus. You know to stay faithful. You know to pray. You know that you should still, you know, have fellowship with other believers and have fellowship with Jesus and, and worship Him and glorify Him and all those kind of things. So when you, don't, when you have a moment in your life, you have an experience in your life, and you're like, I don't know what to do, then do what you know to do. Here's the thing I, I think we wrestle with sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And all we do is focus on figuring out what to do, and we don't, know, we don't do what we know to do. So you know that in this situation, as hard as it is, you should stay faithful, you should stay strong, you should commit yourself fully to Christ, but you put all that aside because you're over here going, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And these disciples, instead of just wrestling with the what to do, they do what they know to do, and that's pray. Now Luke gives us a little bit of information here that is easy, easy for us to skip over. He tells us who's in the room. And he says that in this room were these women, Mary the mother of Jesus and Jesus' brothers. Now the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, they, that's nothing new to us. They've been in the Gospels, we've read much about them. But Jesus' brothers, well they were far less enthusiastic. As a matter of fact, if you read in parts of the Gospels, it almost appears that his brothers would mock him. His brothers were like, you know, oh, you're the Messiah. So before we get too hard on these disciples, or these, these brothers of Jesus, let me ask you this question. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the Messiah? Probably a resurrection, right? 
Okay, some of you are not tracking with me. You're like, what are, my brother, Messiah? Oh, my word, never. If your brother said to you, guess what, I'm the Messiah, you'd be like, yeah, come here. I'll show you, you know. I'm wondering what it would take. Probably the thing that it would take to prove to you that your brother truly is the Messiah is if he did exactly what was impossible to do, and that's raised from the dead. And so Jesus must have told his brothers, hey, guess what, guys? Here's what's going to happen. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they probably looked at him and said, like, yeah, okay. And then Paul tells us in, the, in his writings that Jesus met with James, one of his brothers. I think that's so cool. Can you imagine that conversation? James standing there going, oh, my word. You really are the Messiah. All along, I've doubted. And so now Luke, the author, tells us that now his brothers are on board. And even after all their doubting, even after all the times that they probably kind of ridiculed him about being the Messiah, now here are Jesus' brothers in the room with the eleven and with these other people, and they are praying and they are seeking God. And we know that later on, Luke, I mean James, one of, the, one of Jesus' brothers becomes a very important figure and plays a, a very vital role in the, uh, the life of the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, continuing on, in those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. There are, you know, there's a lot of significance around the 120. We don't need to really get into that. But here are these, these 120 people meeting together, and Peter... He stands up one day and is like, okay, we've been praying, but we need to, there's some things we need to do work through. There are some things on the agenda we're going to have to address. Now, let me ask you, it seems like from what Luke writes here that no one really seems to have any objection to Peter standing up and, and starting to lead this little crowd. Now, let me ask you, how do you think the church today would respond? How do you think the church today would respond if Peter got on stage, took the microphone, and said, okay, hey, thanks, guys, all for gathering here. You know, 120 of us or so in the room here. It's great to see you all. Okay, here's a couple things I think we need to get going on. And so if I can just get your attention. I think in a church today, most places, we would be like, whoa, 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 Peter, Peter, whoa, whoa, Peter, Peter the denier. Yeah, let's just get that out there. How you doing, Peter? What do you think you're doing? Who are you? to lead us. Come on, Peter, we all know your record. This is the guy, everybody. This is the guy. Remember? This is the guy who keeps putting his foot in his mouth. This is the guy who denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. And now he wants to lead in promoting Jesus? I'm sure someone in the church would stand up and make sure everybody remembered Peter's failings. We'd be talking about this, you know, remember, hey everybody, remember, this is the guy who tried walking on water and he was doing okay, but what did he do? He took his eyes off of Jesus. You all remember this? He looked somewhere else and now he wants to lead us and then he started to sink. This is the guy who Peter, you know, Jesus once told, you know, said about Peter, he's like, hey, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Obviously, there are a lot of weaknesses in your life, Peter, come on. Someone would have probably stood up and said, hey, this is the guy who when Jesus was arrested, don't you, some of you don't remember this, but I'm sure I remember, Peter pulled out his knife and chopped off some dude's ear. And then Jesus, instead of saying, hey, thanks, man, get the next one, go, you know, he took the, put the ear back on and then he rebuked Peter. 
And now you want to lead us? And then someone else goes, I, I, I remember one. You probably don't re- remember this, Peter. Maybe you do. But isn't this the guy who one time when Jesus was talking to him, he looked right at Peter and then he said, get behind me, Satan? Now you want to lead us, Peter? You see, I think the truth is that in today's churches, we don't like messy people. We don't like people with messes. And I think the truth is that if a guy like Peter got up here on stage and took the microphone, a lot of us would have a serious problem with it. And we would be like, there's no way I'm letting that person lead me because look at the messes in their lives but here stands peter with all this history and i know he cleared things up with jesus it's recorded well in in uh, john chapter 21 but he cleared up the denying thing but here's peter with all his history and he stands up before the congregation he stands up before these 20 people 120 people and he says hey there are some things we need to deal with Now look at what he has to deal with right away. You would think Peter would be like, hey guys, you know, okay, thanks for looking past all my mistakes, man. Haven't we all got some James and John? Hey, yeah, I know Thomas. How you doing? Nice to see you in the crowd, you know. You know, he could have done that, you know, and he could have been like, you know, all these kind of things and then saying, you know, hey, here's what we need to deal with, guys. Come on, remember? Hey, some of you got your heads down. Heads up, heads up. Come on, look up here, look up here. Some of you guys, you're forgetting already. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. Let's stay faithful, guys. Let's stay huddled up. Let's stay together. Come on, let's be strong strong guys we don't know how long this is going to take but come on guys we can do this let's do this you would think that's what peter would do but look at what happened in verse 16 peter says brothers and sisters the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the holy spirit spoke long ago through david concerning judas can you see someone going you're gonna bring up judas come on Peter continues, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. Look at verse 17. Who was one of our number and shared in our ministry? Peter doesn't dodge anything here. So the very first thing on the very first agenda at the very first church meeting is having to deal with a guy who betrayed all of them, especially their leader. What a messy, messy start. And so the issue comes up, we need to replace Judas. I want you to hear me, because this is important. Judas is not being replaced because he's dead. Judas is being replaced because he's defected. Now, Judas is dead. Okay, Matthew 27, verse 5, we read that, that Judas hung himself. And we read in Acts what happened to him. He obviously fell off his rope and had a massive accident, and he's, he's, he's dead. But I think what we do sometimes is we say, yeah, after Judas died, they had to replace him. No, 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 no. The reason Judas had to be replaced is because he defected. He betrayed Jesus. And he betrayed Jesus with the most personal way that you could. He gave him a kiss on the cheek. You can't get much closer than that to someone. So here's Judas. He's walking up, and with every step, he has a chance to repent. With every step, he has a chance to repent. He's standing right before Jesus, and he had a chance to say, you know, I'm so sorry. This is wrong. I don't see him here. 
but he doesn't. He plants a kiss on Jesus, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And now Peter is standing before this 120 in their very first church meeting and saying, we've got to replace this guy because he was one of us. You see, sometimes we as churches don't want to deal with our mess. And sometimes we as individuals don't want to deal with our mess. And the very first thing that Peter does, he says, we're going to deal with this mess. Acts chapter 1, verse 18. Just a little detail here about Judas. With the payment he received from his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Woo, there's a bedtime story. (laughs) Gather around, children. I want to tell you about this dude. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Al-Kaldama, that is, a field of blood. I want you to catch this little part. Here's this group of people starting off. They've got this leader now standing up saying, I want to give leadership to them with all kinds of messy history themselves. The very first thing on the agenda is, what do we do about this guy who betrayed Jesus and all of us? And then in verse 19, we read that everyone in Jerusalem knew about this. Hey, would you like to come join our club? Yeah, the one that, yeah, yeah, the one that, yeah, our guy betrayed. Yeah, that's the one. Would you like to join our company where, yeah, the business partner took half the business? Yeah, come on. Would you like to, you know, that's a little bit the way they're starting. And so here they've got everybody aware about what Judas had done, and yet you're going to see how this incredible group of guys, this incredible church, continues to spread the message. And so Peter proposes that they have two guys that they go to. And so there's this nominating team, and they put these short list of these two guys together, one named Joseph and another named Matthias. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, they prayed. Okay, and check out what they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. So it's not necessarily their abilities, it's not necessarily their experiences, it's not necessarily things that they've accomplished in their life. They're praying and saying, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know our heart. You know how we're going to vote based on what? Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry in which Judas left to go where he belonged. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. And now you've got 12 again. And I should just throw in there, this is the last time you hear of Matthias. You never hear of him again. And so if you ever feel like maybe you don't really matter because does anybody know us, know anything about me? Well, here you got a guy that, you know, after he's elected as one of the 12, we don't really hear about him again. And that's the start of this church. That's Acts chapter 1. That's the start of this church. It's a messy, messy start. Do any of you have any messy starts in your life? Do any of you in your life have, hey, in this thing, when we tried this, it didn't go so well? Yeah, I tried leading some kids once, and uh, that didn't go so well. I tried doing this, or I tried meeting my neighbors, and I realized very quickly, well, hey, I got all this junk in my life. What am I doing trying to talk to these people? Have you ever counted yourself out because of your messes? Have you ever wanted to talk to someone at work or at school? Only to realize that if you did, they'd probably be going like, weren't you at the party? Weren't you just swearing last week? I've heard you tell dirty jokes. Have you ever counted yourself out because of your messes? I think we should be comforted 
and knowing that if Jesus and if God can use people like Peter, then he can use people like us. So if you've ever failed at following Christ, or if your faith has ever wavered, or if you've ever denied Jesus, if you've ever put your foot in your mouth, then I want you to see yourself in the pages of the book of Acts and let you know today that you are in good company. Am I making light of sin? Absolutely not. All of these people repented. All of these people strived to change. But if you go through the writings of Paul in Galatians, you're going to find, guess what? Peter still isn't perfect. Peter may have been seriously racist. And when he was up with Gentiles, man, he was all good with Gentiles. And then when some Jews showed up, all of a sudden he was all, oh, you Gentiles, go, go, go. Don't talk to me. I'm a, I'm a righteous Jew. And Paul goes right to his face and says, this is no good, Peter. And so here's this guy who messes up over and over and over. And yet you can sense that Peter's desire in life is to serve Christ. Have you ever counted yourself out because of your messes? Are there neighbors you want to talk to, but you're afraid because they know who you're like? Maybe you need to go to them and say, hey, you know what? I've been acting like an idiot. I haven't been the example that I should have been. Maybe you need to do this at work and say, you know what? I want to be an example of Jesus, and I want to tell you right now, the first thing I have to do is go back to the mess. Just like Peter, the first thing he had to do is say, oh, we had this guy named Judas in our midst once. You guys remember? Maybe you need to go to some of your coworkers or some of the people in your school and say, hey, by the way, I've been a jerk. I've done a lot of things wrong, and I want to tell you guys, I'm sorry. I want to clean that up, but I want to tell you about this Jesus, and that's the reason I want to clean all this up. Do not disqualify yourself from serving Jesus because of the messes in your life. Here's your little takeaway for today. When Jesus called you, he qualified you. When Jesus called you, he qualified you. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for why you're here. He knows about all your mistakes. He knows about all your weaknesses. He knows about all the things that you've done. And guess what? He knows about all the things that are wrong in this church. And yet he's called this church to reach into the community. And if he has called us, he has qualified us to do it. So there's going to be some messy starts in our lives. There are going to be some things that we want to do that when we look at it, say, man, wouldn't it be nice if we had a nice, clean slate to start with? Wouldn't it have been nice for these apostles to have a nice, clean slate? But they didn't. They had lots of messes. But they still were faithful. And you and I today are remnants of their faithfulness. And so I'm telling you today, there are people 2,000 years from now, if we ever live that long, there are people 100 years from now who need to hear about Jesus through us. Because if we don't share it, who will? So if you've got mess in your life, clean it up. But do not allow the mess in your life to keep you from serving because Jesus who called you has qualified you and wants to use you to serve others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that you give us passages like this in Scripture where we can see that not everyone you've used is perfect. And Lord, it is amazing to us that you would use these people and that you faithfully use them, that you handpicked them knowing their flaws. God, we can look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and we see guys like Paul. Wow, 
What a mess. I'm sure that was thrown in his face over and over. You see other guys like Timothy, who it appears had all kinds of physical illnesses that they had to deal with constantly. You've got guys like Peter, and you've got James and John, and you've got all these other people, Moses, Elijah, who've got all kinds of messes in their lives, and yet you use them. So Holy Spirit, I pray that today, if there's someone in this room who's counted themselves out, that you would remind them right now that you want to use them. Now, Lord, I know if there's sin in their life, I pray that they would repent and that they would turn and be united with you and made right with you. But Lord, I also pray that they would have the courage to then still serve you and not hide because of past mistakes or messes that they have or even some of the things that they're dealing with right now. So, Father, make us a church that isn't perfect, that has messes, we know we do, but make us a church that still is inviting to others and that many would come to know you, Jesus, through what you do in us. In Jesus' name I pray.